Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from 10 to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to vinitaliplus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. And remember to save the date. The next edition of Vinitali will be held from the 2nd to the 5th of April 2023. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today we head to Tuscany, to an organic and biodynamic farm just outside of one of Italy's most beautiful small towns, San Gimignano, to meet my guest Pietro Dei, who manages the family estate, Podere la Maronaia, together with his brother Corrado. Ciao, Pietro. How are you today? Ciao, Mark. Good. And you? Yeah, I'm really well. I'm just imagining the beautiful view you have from your farm. Can you see the towers of San Gimignano? Yes, I had the tower just in front of me. Oh, my. It's a, a beautiful sight, and it's one of the most popular places in Tuscany for visitors to, to come and, and discover this extraordinary medieval city with it's almost like they're medieval skyscrapers isn't it yes yes we we have a lot of towers we have a lot of things to see to visit old san gimignano we should spend like uh, a day because there is a lot of attraction all around the the town inside and outside the walls I think maybe a day and a night, because for me, San Gimignano is always best when the big coachloads of tourists have left and the town actually becomes quite quiet in the evening. Yes, yes. Consider that the local go there just uh, uh, later in the afternoon or late at the, after dinner to take a good ice cream. Uh, that's nice. That's nice to just uh, nip out for an, a gelato in San Gimignano. You're very lucky living there. Pietro, what were the towers for? The towers, they have different use. Uh, mostly they are used as storage. They, so inside they have different layers and they storage food and treasure of the family. Okay. And they, the most powerful family had the tallest tower? Yes, yes. Officially, it depends about the, how a family are. So if they are healthier, if they are, uh, have a lot of power, if they have a lot of money, they make a bigger and taller tower. Okay, size matters. Yes, yes. But there was a, uh, like a law that, in, that allowed uh, the major of the town to make the taller tower. Oh, of course. So that's why the Twin Tower were born, because the Salvucci family created the Twin Towers as storage, but the legends say that you should put one in the top of the other one to create a tower that is taller than the big one. Now, 
you're you're in the countryside looking over uh, to this wonderful medieval skyline, but the countryside itself is probably not changed that much over the centuries. Is that right? Can you describe it for us? Describe where you are in the countryside itself. Yes, yes. So uh, we are 900 meters far from the city, from the walls. And uh, here probably it's not changing a lot because we still have vineyards, we still have a lot of woods, a lot of olive trees that are the most important production of San Gimignano. Instead, um, with the saffron, since the Middle Ages, the two products that is very, very important, the vernaccia and the saffron. It's considered as gold and they use it to make uh, exchange, to pay like the rent of the house, or if you have some, uh, you have to pay somebody, you can use the vernaccia or the saffron to do it. And it's still producing here today. Mm, that's really interesting. So Pietro, tell us a little bit about your family story, how you came to the Podere la Maronaia. <laughs> this one is like a funny story because we start in 2000. And before 2000, both of my parents were scuba instructor, and they have a diving. They always live here. My mom is born uh, where was born in town, in the inside the walls, and uh, my father is born half uh, half an hour to here, close to Florence. And but they always live in San Gimignano. In 2000, they decided to build a, a farm and to start to make wine and uh, olive oil. So a big family, a big, big change of career from, from being in the sea and diving to, uh, to working the land. Yes, it's totally different. And a big change for you and your brother as well. Uh, I was five and my brother were, was three when we started officially. So I remember mostly working in the farms. I never made scuba diving. Right. Okay, so you, you grew up here. Maronaia is really your life and, and what you know. Yes, yes. I, I see the, the farm burning because when we take it, the house, the main house was an old watching tower of the medieval age and it was all destroyed. So we have restored it. And me and my brother, we, we, we see everything. We have saw everything from the restoring to the, to the working officially. Okay, so the, the house needed to be restored. What about the vineyards? Were they already there? And the olive trees, were they there and needed? A part yes and a part no. We have, in fact, some new grape. For the olive trees, we use mostly old olive trees. But for the vineyard, we have a part that is new and a part that is old. Okay. Continue that we have one of the oldest vineyards of Vernaccia. Is that right? Because Vernaccia is a very ancient grape. Yes, and we have one that is from 1970, and it's one of the oldest in San Gimignano. Now, when your family came to Maronaia, they wanted to farm in a particular way. It was important right from the start to farm organically. Why was that? Why was their desire so strong to do things in this way. It wasn't actually that common in 2000, was it? No, it wasn't. In fact, it's not, not so common, considering that here in town we are, uh, we were just three or four farms that made their games. Instead, uh, more than 100 that we had. So, And they, they, they just wanted to farm organically because they believe this was uh, very important for, for sustainability, for 
for the goodness of the wine? This, of course, but mostly because uh, me and my brother, we were very young and we were playing around the vineyards, around the olive trees, and they don't want that we stay in contact with chemical products. So uh, they did it, one, for the sustainability, but also for me and my brother. So me and my brother, we were growing up uh, with the organic culture. And in fact, when my brother started in uh, 2016, we, he, he proposed to us to switch to the, another kind of farming, that's the biodynamic. Well, let's discuss um, both organic and biodynamic and some of the differences, because it is a very particular way of farming and uh, there are certain things that need to be followed. Yes, the, the organic had the mission to don't use chemical preservatives, to don't use chemical fertilizers, no OGM, no pesticide. The biodynamic, it's, it's different because it's based on the nature, it's based on the ecosystem. So we're going to recreate it. In fact, we're going to try to create a cooperation between sky, soil and plants. To do that, we use two natural products. One is called Corn 500 and another one is called Corn 501. The first one is a corn of a cow full with manure. And this one had inside more than 2,000 different bacteria that transform all the natural waste that we live there into nutrients for the plants. And the second one is a crystal and we spray this one in a wooden part to permit to the, the sunlighting to be reflected. So in that way, the plants can produce more energy. Considering uh, if we have a cloudy day before the harvest, we need just to have the last spring, the last kick to make a good harvest. We can distribute these products. In that way, the plants are allowed to, to produce more good grain. And you're following the, the cycle of the moon and of the planets as well? Yes, we, we check it, the moon phases because the moon phases are so important. Obviously, when you work, it's not uh, possible to respect everything. Because, for example, if you have like a, a hard, the harvest time, and we know that uh, some, we have like 10 days of sun and after all water, and the moon phases is not correct, we should make the harvest in that timing, because otherwise we cannot do it. Okay. So we have to find a balance between the natural side and the productive side. But mostly we try to respect all the rules of the biodynamic, especially the moon phases, because they are so important. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it, it makes sense because the moon is such a strong gravitational force and it can, you know, affect when you rack the wines, for example, to have the wines uh, less cloudy and, and, and so many different factors. It's such a powerful force. Biodynamics, I think, used to be, you know, people were, were really curious about learning about this system with the cow horn filled with the manure and the phases of the moon. But it, the, the, the results that, that good producers are getting really uh, justifies all of these different processes, and it reflects itself in the purity of the wine. Is that, is that what you found with your wine? You're getting a different flavors coming through now that you're biodynamic. Yes, yes. We have, uh, we can really see the difference between the wine made with the organic method and the ones made with the biodynamic method. The color, the flavors, the aroma, and also the structure, it's totally different. The wine is richer, 
it's much badier. So you take more mineral notes, more fruity notes, mostly because the soil it's richer. So into the soil we have more substance, we have more uh, nutrients, and the vines can absorb it and they can exprime it into the grape. And the wine. Yes. Right. And so that's reflected in the wine itself. Let's talk about two of your wines then. Um, let's talk about Vernaccia, this important grape. It's, it's um, interesting that the Vernaccia grape uh, is only found around San Gimignano. I know there are other Vernaccia, for example, in Sardinia or in Le Marche, but they're different grape varieties. The Vernaccia in Tuscany is only found around San Gimignano. That's curious that it it doesn't seem to have traveled, and yet it's such a distinctive grape variety. Yes, yes. The Vernaccia is one of the most important wine in Tuscany. It's the only white wine of uh, Tuscany. It's very important because it's a medieval grape. And this kind of wine, it's, uh, it's very strange. Consider that in town we say that it's a red wine with a white color. Because when you drink a white wine, most you expect like a very fruity wine, like a Chardonnay or a Gastraminer, very fruity, very soft and light. The Vernaccia, it's more badier. It's very, very strong, very aggressive. So it's, it's a very strange wine. It's a big wine then to enjoy with food. Yes, we should definitely, we should use in combination with food. Because the drink by itself, it's, uh, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. You make a uh, version of Vernaccia in Amphora. Tell us about this and why you are fermenting or in, in terracotta. So the terracotta is the oldest uh, method to make the fermentation and to make the winemaking. So we're going back to the origins of wine thousands of years ago. Yes, yes. Officially, we, the Amphoras came from Armenia from Georgia, Armenia, and uh, after we're imported here also. And we try to rediscover back these old techniques. Now we try to ferment. In Amphora, we have uh, the first one, we have a 2018 Vernaccia, but now we have also some red and some rosé that we try to ferment there and to see what's coming out. The Amphora have a very good characteristic that I personally love it. They have uh, an exchange of CO2 and oxygen. So the wine inside had a micro-oxygenation. In that way, he lost a little bit of his acidity, of his freshness, but he developed more aromas, more structure. He became a wine that is a little bit delicate and rounder. But at the same time, he take out the body, the real body of the wine. So the wine will be more structured and deeper. Especially the color, it's deeper. Is there skin contact? No, no, no. We don't have skin contact in the amphoras. We just press the grape and we it goes straight into the amphora. Okay, with the natural yeast that's present on the, that had been from the skin. For, for all our wines, we make fermentation without added yeast. So we make natural fermentation. This one allows us to have wine a little bit more structured, but also richer at the notes. Because the Vernaccia, they don't have a lot of uh, flavors, as, the, as I told you, has the Gastronier or the Chardonnay. It's intense, it's rich, but not as the other one. 
So with that kind of winemaking, we can take out a little bit more. Now, San Gimignano is famous, of course, for Vernaccia, less well-known for its red wines, but you've been making your first red wine, Intenso, is pure Sangiovese. Is that right? Yes. The Intenso, it's, uh, it's the wine that we had dedicated to my dad because all our wine have, um, have a connection with us. In general, it's dedicated to a member of our family. And this one is the ones that we dedicated to my dad because he had a very intense character and a very intense personality. And this wine is one of my favorite. It's made with 100% of Sangiovese. That's my favorite grape. It's a full body wine, very aggressive, very, very tannic. In fact, the first things that you feel is the dry of the tannins. At the nose, it's a bunch of flavors. It's so rich, had a lot of flavors, a lot of aromas. And this one, it's not aged, or better, it's aged just in the bottle. So it just make the finishing. It's fermented in the cement and after make the finishing in the bottle. Okay, just to keep that more aggressive character and let it just develop and evolve. You're um, making me really want to taste these wines. I love the sound of them with, you know, the Vernaccia with this real intense character even a little bit of aggression, this white wine for people that love red wines, and then the Intenso with this strong character of Sangiovese coming through in, a, in that with the acidity and, and that slight bit of tannin or, or more tannin than uh, you know, needs to be softened in the bottle. I love those wines, and I love them with the foods of, the, uh, of your area too. Now, I notice that you offer wine tastings with meals. That seems to me, with this style of wine, the very best way to discover and taste wines. Can you tell us a little bit about how those wine tastings with meals work and what are some of the most typical foods that you think that people should sample when they're coming to San Gimignano, when they're coming to Tuscany and want to really enjoy the local foods and the local wines? Of course. So mostly we have a different kind of wine tasting. The wine tasting with meal is composed by five different courses. We have the bruschetta as appetizer. After we have two first dishes. Would that bruschetta be simply with your own Tuscan extra virgin olive oil? No, it's like uh, it's made with fresh vegetables and like creamy cheese and everything. Okay, so a range of different bruschetta, yeah. Yes, it depends about the, the day because it's make everything is made fresh. We made by hand also the pasta and all the sauces, all the sauces. What would be the typical pastas that you would have? We make uh, mostly we make three kind of pasta: we make uh, pici, tagliatelle, and gnocchi. Also, that we made by hand, and we take all organic products to do it. Wow, you make all the pasta by hand. Yes. Wow, fabulous. And what about, um, what sauce would be with that? Uh, also for the sauce, it depends about the season because we try to make everything with fresh ingredients. So it depends about the season. Uh, we have pasta like with uh, cabbage or with uh, fresh tomatoes. We change it really often because the season is very different and not every day we can have the same ingredients. Yeah, that's great. You're really um, reflecting the seasons and what's growing, what, 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 what's in the markets. What's, do you grow some of the vegetables yourselves? 
we didn't grow in, inside a farm. We have uh, uh, some um, friends that had the ortage and we take it directly from there. Also, that come from um, kilometer zero. And I imagine as well with that Intenso wine, that would be fabulous with a grigliata, with la bisteca alla Fiorentina. Yes, this one is perfect. It's the perfect uh, blend, the perfect combination. Yeah, so you would be cooking the, the meats over a wood fire then? Uh, officially, we don't make uh, the T-bone stick. We have cold meats and cheeses. To um, sample the wines as well with the salumi of, of Tuscany, the saltier prosciutto toscano, saltier than the Daniele or the Parma, but very, very good when tasting wines. And of course, the bread in Tuscany is unusual. Yes, the bread is without salt. Yeah, that, that takes some getting used to. We lived in Tuscany uh, one year, and it took us a little while to get used to that. But once you're used to it, it's you know it's so good with the, the salty salumi, with the pecorinos, the, the, the local cheeses. Now, you also offer cooking classes. Yes, we have different kind of cooking classes. We have the, the ones of the pasta. We have the ones of truffle. Would that be the truffles from San Miniato? No, it don't come from San Miniato. It come from uh, or here San Gimignano or another village that's close to us. It's Colle. It depends also that about the season because during the season of the white we make with white truffle. During the season of the black we make with black truffle. People tend to think of Alba for the truffles and Piemonte, but it's important to remember that. Tuscany has some wonderful truffles as well. Yes, yes. We make less production than in the Piemont, but we still have some good truffles. And what about a typical dessert? We So the typical dessert is the Cantuccini and Vinsanto. Okay, and you make your own Vinsanto. We have our own Vinsanto and we, we have the Cantuccini. But also we make some uh, very particular cake and we, we change it also this one more or less every day, in combination with our Profumo. The Profumo is another dessert wine that we made. It's a, it's a chinato. Oh, so it's infused with, with flavorings, like the, in the way that Barolo Chinato is. Exactly, exactly. Instead, the Barolo grape, we use the Sangiovese grape. So you've got the traditional Vin Santo made from the dried grapes aged in the caratelli, aged in the in the heat of the summer, the cold of the winter. Yes, yes. Made with the this one is made with the Trebbiano grape, hundred percent. And you lay the grapes out or you hang them up? No, we hang up. You hang them up. Okay. So it's a very labor intensive to to arrive at this exquisite dessert wine, the Vinsanto. Okay, well, Pedro, you've given us a wonderful overview of not just La Maronaia, but also of San Gimignano, of the countryside, and of wine hospitality. Of I think, to me, what I'm most interested in, what I like best, is discovering wines in the way that you've described, being able to come to a farm, to meet the people that make the wines, to taste the wines with the local foods. So I hope that some of our listeners, and our listeners are located all over the world, will be inspired to 
visit you and to discover your wines and your farm and your family for themselves. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, it's a big pleasure, pleasure to, to talk with you and all of your listeners and to present my farm. Great. Well, I hope to meet you soon. Yes, me too. Me too. When you come in San Gimignano, I will invite you to drink a glass of wine with us. Oh, that'll be, uh, that'll be with great pleasure. Thank you very much. A presto. Thanks. Bye. A presto. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Save the date. The next edition of Vinitali will be held the 2nd through the 5th of April, 2023. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.